joy? How do I I get to that joy deep in my heart when it's so stuffed full of all that? And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at how do we find and maintain a joyful spirit regardless of circumstances? According to crosswalk.com, the word joy appears approximately 165 times in the King James translation, 182 in the New American Standard, and 218 times in the NIV. I've always liked that version. Now I know why. It's full of joy. In the English Standard Version, the words joy, rejoice, or joyful appear a total of 430 times compared with happy or happiness, which appear only 10. So I haven't verified that. I didn't go through and count and make sure that was factually correct. If you want to do that, you are very welcome. (laughs) But isn't that interesting? So what is the difference between happiness and joy? Why is the Bible so into joy compared to happiness? I looked up a couple of secular psychology sites on happiness versus joy. And this is what one of them said, the psychologyeducator.com. Here we go. Whatever your perspective is, the idea that has the consensus of the majority is that your happiness depends on various external factors. Happiness is an emotion that you experience as it happens to you. Even though you may desire it, seek it or pursue it, to feel happiness is not a choice that you can make consciously. How interesting. In contrast, joy is a choice that you purposefully make. Joy is, listen to these words, an unexploited reservoir of potential that is always present inside of you. How cool is that description? An unexploited reservoir of potential inside of you. Basically, it's the attitude of your spirit and your heart, hence you can still feel joy even in tough times. Another description from a Rachel Fernley from a psychology site says, joy and happiness are wonderful feelings to experience, but are very different. Joy is more consistent and cultivated internally. It comes when you make peace with who you are, why you are, and how you are, Whereas happiness tends to be externally triggered and based on other people, things, places, thoughts and events. I would like to add to that that joy comes when we make peace with who we are in God and why we are in God. When we know that, then we can access joy. So when we see, when we look at these comparisons, why the Bible talks a truckload about joy but very little about happiness. The Greek word for joy, kara, means living in the awareness of grace and favour. Are we living in the awareness of grace and favour this morning? If we are ever conscious of that grace and our favour, how could we not exude joy? Like that invokes joy, doesn't it? Just thinking on the grace and the favour of God. I'm going to, um, we're going to look at a quote in a minute. I've asked Elliot not to put it up straight away because I'll probably lose you. <laughs> Who's heard of R.C. Sproul? A few of you have heard of him. He's a pastor and theologian. He's passed away now. But this is one of those ouch statements that you're going to either love or you're going to hate. 
and you're going to either love or hate him at the end of it, okay? So just a little disclaimer there. I love it. I think it's awesome. Whether it's, I don't know, I'll let you be the judge of how scripturally accurate it is or, you know, whether you agree with it or not, that's, that's up to you. But, okay, Elliot, come on. If we are serving God without joy, there is something wrong with that service. If joy is not characteristic in our lives, it may be a sign that we're not Christian at all. <laughs> it is L, but worth pondering, isn't it? Worth looking at. If, I'm not, if I don't have joy in my life, what's going on there? Where is Jesus? <laughs> don't switch off from it. Ask yourself. <laughs> Ask yourself, and don't shoot the messenger. I didn't say it. I'm just repeating it. <laughs> anyway, I've decided I like R.C. Sproul. <clears throat> There's a book in the Bible that's often referred to as the book of joy, and that's Philippians. And it's written by Paul. And if, if you're new to Christianity, Paul was a Pharisee who was previously named Saul, previously named Saul, who hated and persecuted Christians brutally, yet... He then went on to encounter Jesus and was transformed into one of the greatest champions for Christ. We like Paul. Paul started many of the early churches and he wrote a number of the books of the New Testament. And throughout his ministry, he went through some of the worst treatment that any man has ever had to endure. And I want to read a passage this morning written by him while he was under house arrest. So, Think of these words from Paul from the perspective of someone who was imprisoned, okay? Philippians 1, verses 3 through to 26. Every day he's talking to the church, one of, the, one of his many churches, the letters are to them. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favour of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I'm putting adding words in here. I lost my place. Filled with the fruit of your salvation, but we'll go filled with the Holy Spirit as well, because, you know, that's important. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. 
It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others, they do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition. Not sincerely. Intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I'll never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ whether I live or whether I die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. <laughs> but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Well, wasn't he a happy chappy? <laughs> if we didn't know better, I'd say he was lying on a beach somewhere on a tropical island, sipping his favourite beverage and enjoying the sunshine. But no, he was under house arrest. At Herod's palace, awaiting trial, he'd already been in jail in some dingy dungeon jail cell for two years up until this point. So by the time of this writing, he would have been weary, he would have been beaten, and he would have had every reason to be pretty negative and lacking in any joy. Let's look at some key statements he made in this letter. Verse 3, he said, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Not a hint of, you're free, I'm not, you suck. <laughs> not a hint. <laughs> not a hint. Thinking of his church brought him great joy. I get that. Verse 12, he said, Everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul was seeing purpose in his suffering, and he was super proud of the believers around him. That was his mentality. Verse 18, he says, but it doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. He was not caught up in the injustice of people's motives or behaviour. Instead, he saw the only thing that mattered. Christ was being glorified, and so he rejoiced. We're going to have a look at three states of joy today. We're going to look at abiding joy. We're going to look at authentic joy, and we're going to look at abundant joy. So the first one, abiding joy. The word abide means to wait for or continue in a place. And I read this sweet story about two wives who were doing their laundry in a laundromat, and they were both mending their husband's pants. And one wife said, My husband is so miserable. Nothing goes right at work. He can't find anything good on television, 
Our home is a place of despair. When we go to church, the song leader is terrible and the pastor is an idiot. The other wife said, oh, my husband is so excited. He can't wait to go to church. He loves the sermons. We laugh all the time and enjoy our family. It got very quiet in the laundry room as the women continued sewing the pants. One was patching the seat of the pants and the other was patching the knees. The joyful one knew how to abide in Christ. I bet they went to the same church too. <laughs> Who wants to hear a bit more from R.C. Sproul? It's not as painful as the last one, okay? Just a little bit of ouch factor, but some good dose of truth. <laughs> this was a diva of his that I read, and he's talking about joy. He actually looks like he's written quite a number of series on joy. Do you know what? You would have seen the photo of him that was up there earlier. When I Googled, because I don't know who he was, um, every single photo that I saw of this man, he was just, it was joy. Every photo, you, you, you Google him. In all his photos, he's the happiest, smiley, joyful person. And so I think he's well qualified to teach us about joy. So he says this, in John's Gospel, Jesus expounded his declaration that he is the vine and we are the branches. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. John 15, 11. This text indicates that the joy of the Christian is not the natural joy of human life. It's a supernatural joy insofar as it has a supernatural source. It is the work of Christ within us. Though Jesus spoke of his joy being in us, it's still our joy once it is in us. He is its source and its power, but it's still our joy. Jesus also spoke of the end or purpose of his joy remaining in us, namely that our joy may be full. And the term speaks of a degree, in this case an ultimate degree. There is no more joy than full joy. Yet we can experience partial joy or less than full joy, not because there are fluctuations in Jesus' joy, but and that should be coming up there, because there are fluctuations in our degree of our abiding in Christ. Shall I say that one again? There is no more joy than full joy, yet we can experience partial joy or less than full joy, not because there are fluctuations in Jesus' joy, we're having problems there, guys, but because there are fluctuations in the degree of our abiding in Christ. Kind of up to us, isn't it? Are we going to be mending the seat of our, our, our seat of our pants or the knees of our pants? <laughs> we cannot fall out of Christ, but in the process of sanctification, we experience greater and or lesser degrees of clinging closely to him. Here, our wills are important and that we are called to abide in Christ. Acts 17:28a says, "For in him we live and move and have our being." Abiding, waiting for, continuing in a place, continuing to be with him. Psalm 43, 4 says, There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. 
We need to abide in God, the source of our joy. The second state of joy is authentic joy, meaning not false or fabricated. You know the, I'm fine. According to research by organisations such as the Barna Group, Christians, sadly, are known for being judgmental, hypocritical and out of touch, but not for being joyful. I think we need to change that. You know, we've all heard those accusations, eh, and that just really saddens me. We have got to change that. You know, is it because we put on an appearance of joy rather than cultivating and living the real thing? You know, we put on that everything is fine mask and we be happy, clappy Christians, but the world sees right through that. If we can learn to access that gift of joy that is within us, then we can be real with people about our struggles, but at the same time, show them that we can maintain hope and joy in the midst of it. It's not either or, it's both and. Spiritual authenticity is a beautiful fusion of divinity and humanity. The presence of God evident within our human nature. The process of becoming like Christ whilst being fully human. 2 Corinthians 6 puts this really, really well. Verses 3 to 10. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that a ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. There are a lot of yets in that passage, aren't there? (laughs) But some very, very real situations going on, yet. Dying, and yet we live. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. Poor, yet making people rich in faith. Having nothing, yet having everything. No, Paul is not denying the reality of their troubles in this passage, but he had joy, 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 joy down in his heart. (laughs) He did. The third state of joy is abundant joy. Abundance meaning a copious supply, a great amount. Psalm 16.11 from the Holman Bible says, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. Abundant joy in his presence. John 10.10 from the Amplified, Jesus says the thief comes only to, in order to steal and kill and destroy. I come 
that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance or to the full until it overflows. You know, he never meant for us to live life partially full of him. We were never promised pain-free, trouble-free lives. But in his presence, there is a copious amount of joy that is ours to access, and that is what carries us through whatever's going on in our lives. Paul says in Philippians 4.4, always, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Interesting that I don't read him saying, oh, I really hope that you can always be full. You know, this verse reads as though we actually have a choice to rejoice. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. We make a choice. Wes Stafford from the Compassion International Organisation says this, joy is a decision, a really brave one, about how you are going to respond to life. It is a really brave one sometimes, isn't it? You know, sometimes we're going through very, very real and very painful and very overwhelming stuff. And joy can be a very brave decision to make in that time when you can't see out the other side of it. Maybe we need to bookmark Philippians for those times and just get a good dose of Philippians when we're in those places. Paul continues in chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He's hit on a real key there. Because in an instant, when we do that, our whole inner being can change. How we are experiencing whatever circumstance we're in at the time, in an instant, when we fix our eyes on what things that are excellent and worthy of praise, when we think of those things there, when we do that in an instant, we change how we're going through our situation. Psalm 16, 8 to 9 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. And my body also will rest secure. I find it interesting that it says, I keep my eyes on the Lord. Therefore, my heart is glad. So it's like that follows, fixes his eyes on the Lord and that makes his heart glad and then his tongue rejoices. Our tongue tends to speak whatever's going on in there at the time, doesn't it? So if we can fix our eyes on him and get our inner being sorted and find that joy, then our tongue is going to rejoice. And when our tongue rejoices, God is glorified. We fix our thoughts on Jesus in various ways. Prayer, worship, gratitude is a huge one. Reading his word. Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. 
Psalm 143.5, I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works and think about what you've done. I ponder all your great works and think about what you've done. I find that a real key for myself, and I can do that anywhere, no matter where I am, to stop and just ponder God's great works and the things he's done. And I find that really, really helpful if I'm struggling with negative thoughts or just being overwhelmed or whatever, just that moment of stopping and doing that. John 15:11 says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Who wants overflowing joy this morning? Yeah? He is the source of our joy. We either fix our eyes on him or we fix our eyes on the stuff around us that seems too big and overwhelming. One creates joy, the other depletes joy. Which one are you going to choose? When we lift our eyes to Jesus, it actually helps us to see beyond our current reality. We know that he can see the bigger picture, and according to Jesus, there's joy in that. We'll get to that in a minute. Hebrews 12.2 says, Keep your eyes on Jesus, our leader and instructor. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy that he knew would be his afterwards. And now he sits in the place of honour by the throne of God. You know, I'm sure that there wasn't actually a lot to be joyful about on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Perhaps the, the thief responding to him, that would have been a moment of joy. But Jesus could see beyond the present because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. It speaks of something on the other side of a situation. And I can imagine Jesus looking around him, seeing the faces of the people that he knew would be saved because of what he was enduring. Maybe he could even see our faces. Think about that for a moment. Plenty of faces around him, but he could see all the faces of people years to come that because of what he was enduring could know him, could know eternity. That brought Jesus joy. And then the joy of being with his father again. So Jesus being able to see what was on the other side brought him joy. He endured the pain and the abuse because of the joy that he knew would come from it. The joy was coming, but it was not yet here. And it was that anticipation. I'm sure it was that anticipation of what was coming after must have created a joy in itself, and that anticipation helped Jesus to stay the course. Philippians 3.1 says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Paul saw the decision to rejoice as crucial to safeguarding our faith. That's quite amazing, isn't it? He knows the key. Worship team, could you come up, please? Smith Smith Wigglesworth said this, I am not moved by what I see. I am not moved by what I feel. I am moved by what I believe. I'm not moved by what I see. 
I'm not moved by what I feel. I am moved by what I believe. What do you believe this morning? Where are you trying to source your joy from today? Is it in Jesus or is it in some external temporary thing? You know, joy is not always a happy feeling. Don't mistake that. Sometimes it's purely a knowing and then a peace that follows. That everything is going to be okay because he's got you. Sometimes it's as simple as that. It's where in this Christmas season where many are struggling to find meaning and the joy that comes with that, why don't we work to unwrap that beautiful gift of joy within us so that we can give it away to those around us. Let's change the narrative. Let's change how people see Christians and that they see us as people of joy, even though they see us in a struggle. You know, let's be real about it. They see us in a struggle, but they see us as people of joy rather than judgmental and hypocrites and let's change that narrative it's got to change we're going to finish now with singing um, the chorus and bridge of sing wherever I go because I just think it's just such great words of declaration as Mary Ann pointed out this morning so we're going to sing through that and I just really encourage you this morning to sing your heart out to God no matter what your week's been like no matter what your week that's coming up is like Sing your heart out to God this morning. Fix your eyes on Him. Say the words that put Him first, that make Him greater than anything else. And then, um, and then we'll wrap up and there'll be a time, place for prayer afterwards if anybody wants prayer. But for now, I just really feel it's really important for us just to do some singing. <laughs> let some joy out. Fix our eyes on our amazing Jesus, the source of our joy. And let's access that this morning.